Amen. Well, God does get the glory. Thank you, Ben, for leading us in worship again. And if you weren't leaving, we'd probably send you on your way for that heresy in the middle of that. So, Love you. Uh, why don't you get your Bibles? Let's open up our Bibles and go with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, or you will notice that our ushers are coming around. They would love to give you a physical copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, would you just take that one with you? That's a, a gift uh, from us to you. We want you to have a copy of the Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 1. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Christmas time is here, right? Christmas time is here. Something like that. You get, you get that song stuck in your head? Okay, so we're just going to embrace the nostalgic traditions here. I'm actually going to, I want to give you a test uh, because I want to see how much Christmas spirit we actually have in the room uh, this morning. Uh, so uh, don't, don't feel uh, any, any shame here, uh, but if you would, uh, I, it, this is going to help me. Uh, how many of you, if you just raise your hand, how many of you already have your Christmas tree up? We have a, like, oh yeah, this, this is, we're doing good so far. Okay, how many of you have uh, already started listening to Christmas music in some form? Like, wow, that's impressive. And I don't mean like you walked in the grocery store and you heard it, but you're like, really try it. Like, you, you are listening to Christmas music. All right, how many of you, um, how many of you have already done your Christmas shopping? Any, anybody already done all your, like, okay, that's sick. Um, how many of you, uh, just, just curious, how many of you have gone and wa uh, looking for Christmas lights somewhere in the community? Anybody? Okay, now we're, now we're getting down to the, the we're, we're seeing who really has the Christmas spirit. Here's, here's the biggest test of all. How many of you have already gotten your first round of eggnog from the grocery store? All right? Yes, we're on second already. This is awesome. Love it. All right, for those of you who did not raise your hands, uh, I just want to say I'm glad you're here. Uh, this is a place where we welcome without judgment. And uh, so I'm going to refrain from calling you Scrooge, uh, but we are going to spend a little bit of time celebrating Christmas around here, and I know that for many of you, this is the, the most wonderful time of the year. For others, if we can just say this, I'm just going to be honest, I get it, okay? Some of you, this may be one of the hardest times of the year. Can I just acknowledge that and, and say that we, we can appreciate that, um, but I hope that you can appreciate that um, no matter how you feel about Christmas, Christmas really does afford us a time to kind of remember, to put fresh eyes on the nativity, and uh, really to celebrate the gospel and the good news of why Jesus came down to earth. And so we're going to be in Luke. We're taking a, a break from uh, the book of Mark. We've been diving into the book of Mark, just going after it. We're going to take this month and go through uh, a little bit of Luke, and specifically over the next three weeks, we're going to be following um, Mary's experience leading up to uh, the birth of Christ. Now, I, I know that um, we, maybe you guys come with various opinions about Mary, I realize that some of you may have grown up in kind of a Catholic tradition. I did not. I grew up in the cornfields of Ohio. We didn't have any of that around us. My wife was in Massachusetts, but for me, I, it wasn't until I went to Chicago uh, for college that I first got my exposure to that. So, so I could just say, like, whenever we start talking about Mary, everybody's got like a you know, kind of some opinions about how we approach that. And I get it that some people probably approach Mary cautiously and, and, and carefully, and, and, and for others of you, Mary is like really uh, uh, confusing, you're not sure what to do with her. Some of you, Mary's really comforting, 
And others of you, you're like, I don't really care who's Mary. And I get that. And I just want you to know uh, that the story of Mary is not really about Mary. Mary is an example to us, as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. But, but Mary really points us to the person of Jesus and the gospel. I love how Dr. Dr. David Jeremiah captured this when he said this. She honored and obeyed the will of her father, providing his only son, a home from which he would emerge to launch the work that would define all of human history. The child toddled behind her in his infancy. Then in time, she followed him all the way to the cross and the tomb. So I think I'm excited to look at her life and her experience here. And what we're going to see this morning in Luke chapter 1 is that Mary gets this special announcement that you and I can't afford to miss. Luke chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So if I could give you a big idea this morning, kind of the announcement that we are getting, it's this. God gives grace we don't deserve and a kingdom that won't end. That's just really good news for us this morning. I hope that you're going to be drawn into this and be able to rejoice with us that God gives grace we don't deserve and a kingdom that won't end. So the angel Gabriel is kind of making a, a one announcement, but it's really kind of two announcements. So, so here's the two things that he's announcing. Note this one. Let's, let's just look at the first, okay? This is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. That's what we're seeing first. Just to get the setting here, uh, verse 26, he says, this happens in the sixth Month. Now, that does not mean that this happened in the month of June or, or even in the, the, the Hebrew calendar, the month of Elul. Uh, really, what he's referring to is the story that just happened. He's actually referring to six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Because here in chapter 1, there's, there's actually two times that Gabriel has shown up, and he's foretelling of two special babies that are going to be born. The first one is John the Baptist, who's going to be born to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and, and the angel Gabriel, back in verses 16 and 17, had told Zechariah, he said of John, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. That's the Messiah, he's going to go before him to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So we've already got a heads up that there's an even greater baby that's coming. And so when he says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, we get this idea that there's a, a special announcement that the Lord wants us to see. He wants us to hear this so that we don't miss the significance of what is about to happen, but it happens where nothing ever happens. 
It happens. In fact, look at how he has to say it. This, this verse, he has to say, a, a, a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is such a nothing town that, that he has to kind of describe where it's from. Because um, we, we, we get this earlier in, in, in the chapter one, at the very beginning, Luke is actually writing, it says verse three, he's writing an orderly account. He's trying to like lay out what happened in Jesus's life for a man named Theophilus. And apparently Theophilus isn't from here. And if you're not from here, then you have no idea where Nazareth is from. This is like where I, where, where, where I grew up in, in Ohio. I never tell anybody that I'm from West Liberty because nobody's ever heard of West Liberty. And if you live like 15 miles away, you probably never heard of West Liberty. That's how small a town is from. And so what I do is I have to describe for people, I'm from like an hour west of Columbus, out in the middle of the cornfields, out in the middle of nowhere. And everybody kind of gets it, okay? That's what Nazareth is like. It's a nothing town. Nobody is proud to be from Nazareth. In fact, in, in John chapter one, there's one of the disciples, his name is Nathaniel. When he hears that there's this guy, Jesus, who's coming from Nazareth, he asks this question, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, that's the kind of town that we're dealing with. Nobody wants to be from here. But this is where God chooses to do his work. And so he says, uh, this, this angel came to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, next week we're going to look at the significance of what, what that means to be a, a, a virgin. And, and, and in a few moments we'll look at why it's significant that he's coming from the house of David. But the first thing I just want us to notice here is that Mary is betrothed, which is another fancy way of saying that she's engaged, right? So, so ladies, ladies, help me. What is on her mind? What, what is she thinking about? What, what's absorbing all of her attention? Going to the synagogue and we're gonna get married. Right? That's what she's thinking about. She's thinking about her wedding day. She's thinking about Joseph and how dreamy he is. And she's thinking about what life is gonna be like together. And, and she's thinking about the place that they're gonna live and, and nesting and how she's gonna make it so cute and wonderful for them to live in. And, and, and she's, she's got all these dreams that she's got going on here. But, but, but just so that we like blow up a little stereotype here. Mary, oftentimes, whenever we think about Mary, we think about her like, like, like in the like peaceful Christmas cards or, or her angelic face on, on like classic art. Or, or if you have a nativity, if you, if you have like a willow tree, then she has no face. But normally when we're thinking about like Mary in the nativity, we always kind of picture her in her, in her 20s or in her 30s, something like she's really mature, which that's possible, but this is not the 21st century. And so this would have been kind of normal scholars think that it's possible that she would have been maybe 12, 13, 14, 15 maybe. We, we, we don't really know. That's weird, isn't it? Like, like my oldest daughter, Jolie, is nine. It's kind of staggering for me to think that in like three years we'd be booking wedding coordinators. I'm just like not ready for that. That's kind of weird for us. So, 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 so what we would think of as a, a little girl maybe, she's about to get her world rocked by this announcement. Here she is dreaming of her wedding day, and in walks Gabriel, verse 28. Here's what he says. Here's this message. Greetings. That, that word could also be translated hail, which is where we get that phrase. You know what I'm talking about? Not the, uh, not the desperate football play, but that prayer that, that people pray. That's, that's where it comes from. The, the word could also mean rejoice or, or be glad. So what he's really trying to help her understand is like, Mary, I've got Good news, 
What is the good news? The Lord is with you. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I get random good news, like somebody tells me something that's like, I, I just got something really exciting I want to tell you, I'm always like bracing myself for the bad news. Is anybody else like that? You're like, why are you telling me this? I think that's what Mary's actually thinking because verse 29 says, she was greatly troubled at the saying. Now, now Gabriel had already appeared to Zechariah. Zechariah was the priest and the angel appeared and as soon as, as soon as he saw Gabriel, it says he was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. So this angel's probably terrifying in his presence, but that's not why Mary's freaking out. She's really concerned, it says, with what he said. I got good news. The Lord is with you. She's like, awesome. Why are you telling me this? Like, is, is, there, is there a reason? Is there... Is there something I need to know? Is there something going on? Like she senses that, that something's going on. And, and she kind of feels maybe, maybe, maybe he's about to drop a bomb on her. And it all ends up being good. But I do think that it's significant that he reassures her up front of God's presence with her. And she's about, she's about to have a baby inside of her. And in a few months, she's gonna see her, her belly swell and, and, and feel a little little kicks here, and, and, and there's something kind of human and, and, and realistic and, and uh, kind of accessible in this story. But there's also something much bigger that's going on, because she's about to be carrying the Son of God. Now, we have to remember then that this is a momentous event in a cosmic battle that has been going on all the way back since Genesis chapter three. You gotta keep this in mind, that in Genesis chapter three, God's enemy, Satan, came down in the form of a serpent and he tempted the woman, he tempted Eve, and when Adam and Eve sinned, they plunged the world into chaos because they were joining the rebellion against God, and, and we have this broken world because of sin, and we are in this massive spiritual war that's going on all around us that we can't even see. But in the midst of that battle, in the midst of the war, at the very beginning, God made a promise. This is the beginning of the gospel. We've shared this with you before. I, I hope that we can keep this in mind. We're jumping back and forth. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. This is really the first glimmer of hope that we get in the middle of this war that's going on. I've got it on the screen for you. Here's what God says to the serpent while he's cursing him. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. So Satan and the offspring of the woman are gonna be in battle, gonna be at war, and here's what he says. Her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so right from there, from Genesis chapter three, we're waiting for that one. We're waiting for the baby that's gonna be born, that's gonna be able to take out God's enemy. And, and we've been waiting for thousands of years. God is going to win the war when the one who's born of the woman is gonna be able to come and defeat Satan. And, and so what, he, what he's trying to help us understand is Mary is about to carry that offspring. Satan's enemy. And I gotta be thinking that he's not really happy about that. In fact, I don't, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that there's probably something demonic going on in what Matthew tells us when he says that Herod goes through and tries to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem who are two years old 
already hungry. Just wipe them out. It's not surprising, is it? No, no, Mary, she may not understand the threat that she's in, the, the danger that this poses to her. But whether she realizes the reality or not, I think it's pretty awesome that God just gives her this reassurance right up front. I just want you to know, I'm with you. Maybe you need that encouragement today. Maybe you've got some surprising struggles. I don't know, maybe it's work stress, life stress, family stress, end of year stress. I mean, everything, like one minute, everything seems calm, and then all of a sudden, like, it just hits out of nowhere, and you're, like, buried under a pile of stress. You ever feel that? Well, I, I think in one moment, Mary's life, here she is dreaming of her wedding day, and now everything is changed all at once. And she doesn't even know what this means yet. But God is just trying to help her understand, you're not alone. So if God is with you, if he's for you, not against you, then what do you have to be afraid of? This is why he would say in Philippians chapter 4, he tells us, don't be anxious about anything. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be fear. You don't need to be fearful. Don't be anxious in anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. It'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us this incredible promise in verse 9. He says, listen, listen. The God of peace will be with you. Do you know that promise? Do you hold on to that? That in the midst of your struggle, whatever it is you're going through, your, your trial, whether it's having to face that person that you don't really want to have to face, maybe you're going to have to face them this holiday season. Maybe you're waiting on that phone call. Maybe you're in the middle of chaos. Maybe you're in the middle of loneliness. I don't know what it is that you're feel, you just feel like you don't have any peace. What he's telling you, here's the promise, the God of peace will be with you. Is there encouragement there for you? But then he says, verse 30, the angel says, So do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So, so if we were to, you know, favor for us, that would mean that, that you have approval, uh, that you uh, are on friendly terms, that you're in good standing, that, that God holds you in regard. Like, how do you get that? Because we want to be in, in God's favor. How many of you want God's favor on your life? I mean, none of us want the, the guilt. Nobody likes the feeling of guilt where we know that we've done wrong and, and, and we have this fear that God's just like looking down on us like, I know what you did. And he's just waiting for us to mess up again so he can get us. Like, we don't like that feeling. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you've been driving around and all of a sudden you notice that, that a cop car started following behind you. You know that feeling? Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You start freaking out as soon as you see that. There's that fear that I, man, what did I do? And, and, and why is he trying to get me? Instead, that fear, that's gone. Instead, imagine being told that when God looks down on you, he smiles. You've got his approval. Now, obviously, Mary's been given a really special task, not something that anybody else is being asked to do. In fact, even uh, little girls to this day they feel pretty special when they get picked to be Mary in the annual Christmas pageant. But here's the deal. Mary is Mary. So my question is, why Mary? Why, why, why her? Why, why, why did God choose her for this? Well, in the next few weeks, we're going to 
get some insight into her character. And I'll be honest, there's much to emulate. She really is an example to us. And, and, and God knew. God knew what he was doing. God knew her character. But this word here, verse 30, this word favor is the Greek word charis, meaning grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Grace is like um, when I probably deserve a lump of coal because I've been an annoying bratty kid, but instead I get a really sweet gift. And all the other parents are thinking, man, if there was justice in the world or if you were my kid, you would not be getting that, but that's grace. But, but God isn't giving Mary favor because she's so good or because there's nobody else more worthy than her. She's just like earned it. God is giving her undeserved favor. Why? Because he's good. We don't know. This is what his plan was. So don't make the mistake of thinking that, that Mary uh, is, is somehow a, a giver of grace because she's earned it. She's not a giver of grace. Mary is a sinful recipient of grace, undeserved favor, just like us. So, so don't venerate her and, and hold her up to some uh, level that nobody else could ever reach. I mean, she is just an ordinary teenager who becomes extraordinary because of what God wants to do in her life. So the point is not that we would look at Mary and be so impressed. The point is that we would be in awe of this God who would give grace to those of us who don't deserve it. And we have to beware of the, the, the trap of religion that tells us, man, you gotta, you gotta work, you gotta work hard, you gotta, you gotta work your way into God's favor, you gotta earn his grace by what you do, you gotta prove your worth with your efforts in order to be good. If you think that's it, man, you're gonna be spinning on the performance cycle until you finally get tired of even trying anymore because it's hopeless. And, and if that's the way you think God's grace works, then of course you're gonna be looking at Mary, you're gonna be like, man, look, at she, she's so blessed and look what God chose her to do. I mean, she's, we're, we're just going to hold her up on this high pedestal like she's on this unattainable level of, of sainthood and, and, and hail Mary, right? But when he says, verse 28, when he says, hail, or in our translation, greetings, what does he say? He says, greetings, O favored one. Now that word is only used two times in the entire New Testament. And you might be shocked to find out who else it refers to. You want to know? Ephesians chapter 1, I've got it for you on the screen. Here's the only other time it's used. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed, there's the word, he's blessed who? He's blessed us and the beloved. We are blessed. We are favored ones, recipients of his grace. Why, why? Well, Paul tells us in that chapter, he says that we are, he has blessed us in Christ. He has chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. God chose me not after I proved something to him. He chose me before I was even born. So, so, so when we look at Mary, we, we, we see her in the nativity this year. You're putting it up. It, it is special. But I want you to be encouraged by her. Mary is the reminder that, that Christmas is the announcement 
of undeserved favor. That God gives grace we don't deserve. God didn't choose her to be his because she was holy. God chose her to be holy because of what her son, what God's son, would do for her. And then we're thankful for her faithfulness to him and her response of courageous obedience. But you can have God's favor because of God's son. That's grace. We just don't deserve that. And that's why we call it amazing. That's the first announcement. Here's the second. Undeserved favor. And the second thing the angel announces is an unending kingdom. An unending kingdom. Verse 31, he tells her, uh, So behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Next week, we're going to look at her reaction to this. But first, I just want to focus in on who this person of Jesus really is. Here's what he says, verse 32. He says, he will be great. That word in the Greek is the word megas. Love that. He's like the original mega man. Like that, that's Jesus, right? He is the, the son of the most high. That, that just gives you this sense of elevated magnitude. There's nobody like our God. In fact, this is the same word that the angels are going to use one chapter later, chapter 2, verse 14, when they're announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds, they say, we've already sung it, glory to God in the highest. There's no God that reaches these lengths. There's no God like ours. There's no one higher. And so if he's the son of the most high, then that speaks to his royalty. It speaks to his divinity. And the angel says that the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, when I see that in my Bible, I've drawn a little, little crown next to that. Because whenever he's referencing David and, 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 and pointing us back, what he's trying to remind us is this promise of an eternal kingdom. Because um, God made a covenant with David. I mean, you remember David. David, the shepherd boy, he kills Goliath, and then he goes on to be the king. And, and honestly, he reigns in like the golden years of the kingdom of Israel. But he's certainly no saint. I mean, he's a sinner, right? But he was a man after, the, after God's own heart. And so the Lord made a covenant with him, and specifically to his offspring. And I've got it on the screen here, Second Samuel chapter 7. He came down and he said of David, of your offspring, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, so when Gabriel here says that he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. What he's saying is, Mary, this little boy. He's the one. This is, this is the Messiah. This is the hope of an unending kingdom. It reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen the, the Disney movie Sword in the Stone. It's an oldie but a goodie. It, it's the story of the little boy who's, who grows up to be King Arthur, right? And at the end, they all, they all are crying out, Hail, King Arthur. You know what they say, right? Long live the king. Why do they say that? Well, if you get a good king... You want him to stick around for a little while. And this Arthurian legend actually arises out of this hope that we would have a, a good king. And I know that maybe this is kind of hard, if we could just be honest, this is kind of hard for us to appreciate in, in, in our context in, in the 21st century because, um, I mean, we, we don't really think about governments uh, and ruled by a, a monarchy. That seems kind of 
uh, Games of Thrones-ish, and, and you know, not not something that we're really interested in. We want we want you know we want democracy, right? And democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. And but I do think that there may be some 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 validity, less risk to tyranny if we're listening to the voices of many as opposed to just the voices of one or a few, especially if they're corrupt. But do you know the problem with all of these governments that we have here on earth? You know the problem? At the end of the day, we're still just relying on sinful, selfish humans. And we're at their mercy. Anybody felt that? Anybody felt in any way that governments, leaders can be disappointing, can be dangerous? So the question is, what if, what if we had a king who ruled over us, but this king was good? This king was loving and was kind and who cares about justice more than we do and who's powerful to do something about injustice and who always does what is right, a king that we would say is, is somebody that we could, we could trust. Well, if we had that, then we would want that king to live forever. So Christmas is the announcement that there really is a happily ever after. Because Christmas is the time where we're, we're, we're joyful, that's, that's why. And we are realists. We, we, we see the hurt, we see the, the pain and the suffering that's all around us. We see the injustice, we see the brokenness. I pray that our hearts are broken by this as well. But as believers, we know that this isn't the end. Gabriel announces to Mary that in just a few months, just imagine that she's going to be the only one that can feel the flutter of his little kicks. And maybe she'll like have Joseph like, come on, go, you gotta, you gotta feel this. See, see if he can feel it. And, and, and this baby will be just barely strong enough to let her know that he's even there. But he's the one with the strength and the power to conquer sin and death and to reign over his glorious kingdom forever. So maybe the, maybe the holidays are hard on you. Maybe you're feeling that stress. Maybe you're feeling the struggles in life right now. Maybe a reminder of lost loved ones or broken dreams or kind of an emptiness that you feel or a loneliness that you feel. The special announcement of Christmas is that Jesus is the king who will ultimately set all things right that we have a Savior. And so those of us who know him, we have this hope that he tells us that when he comes back, when he returns, Revelation 21 tells us that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. If you could remember the greatest moment, the most joyful moment of your life that you've ever had, if you could like remember that feeling, that doesn't even compare to what this is going to be like. And we can't even really comprehend what it means to have that for eternity. But this is what happens when a good king reigns in an unending kingdom. So we have joy. I hope that you celebrate this season because Christmas is the announcement that God gives grace that we don't deserve and a kingdom that won't end. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your grace to us. Love that you would send your son knowing that we needed, we needed a savior. We need a savior who can save us from the brokenness and the injustice and the corruption that we see all around us. God, we need a, a king who can set all things right. But Lord, we have to confess that it starts with us. That the brokenness that we see around us in this world is because we are broken. It's because we rebelled, because we are sinners. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged by the story of Mary and by this announcement from the angel that we can have favor with God. We have a king who is coming who will set all things right and there's no one more worthy. And so we sing with joy in our hearts this Christmas season and we worship you pray that Jesus is high and lifted up today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.